You know, the life can get busy and you just start walking through it and you don't pay attention. But it's good every now and then to stop and realize how good and big the grace of God is in our lives. Amen. That he just keeps walking with us. I'm so thankful for that this morning. Hey, it's a good day to be at Hope Community Church. And uh, I'm so thankful that you're here. I think God has something um, something good to talk to you about this morning. Uh, we want to say welcome to all those watching online. Our online church is growing and spreading out all over the place. And thankful for that. And then uh, welcome our great church in Berkeley Springs. It's good to be with you this morning. Amen. So uh, I'm going to be joining them here this month soon. And, and it's just great that God does things all over the place. Amen. I have a, I'm so thankful they're here this morning. Jack and Sheila Harper are with us from Save One. And uh, yeah. So I think they've been coming here for the last four or five years. And they quickly became friends. They're just, you can be good at something and not be, and not be friends. Does everybody understand that? But it's really special when people are following their call, the calling of God in their life. They're great at it. And then you get to call them friends at the same time. And over the last couple of years, um, we went and visited them in, in, in Nashville and they took us to the Johnny Cash Museum, which I was really thankful for. And so um, they're watching over our kid who's in Nashville right now, and um, thankful for that. Yesterday, last night, we, now that they were up visiting us, we were able to take them on the tour of how the Joneses started. And we went through Shepherdstown and Martinsburg and showed them all the old places we lived. And so that was a neat thing. And we didn't get robbed or anything. Some of the old places we lived. We didn't stop, but <laughs> but um, it's a beautiful thing to be able to do ministry with friends. And um, every year they're up here this time of year. Uh, they participate in the Walk for Life in Washington, D.C., and uh, it's, a, it's just a great, great thing to start the year out thinking of, thinking of how the gospel is moving in different areas. And so they're here today. They're going to share with us and encourage us. And I want you to lean in this morning. I told our first service a lot of how you receive God is how you prepare your mind to receive him. And God will invade your space. But to grow in him, you have to prepare your mind. You have to take every thought captive. It's a discipline that we do. So I think that's why we open up. I think that's why we sing first. I don't have a, I don't have a theology degree in why we do church the way we do, but I think that's why we sing first. To go ahead and get it off your chest. To go ahead and give praise to God. And then we can lean in. It prepares our mind to hear what he's going to say to us. So I pray you did that this morning. So could you give a big Hedgesville welcome to Jack and Sheila Harper as they come?
Thank you, Pastor Chris, and thank you, Hope, for allowing us to be here. We love being here, but but first, thank you for sharing Maddie with us. We took her to dinner the other night, and she was just stunning. I just love that girl. And we haven't sprung our single son on her yet, but we that's in the back of our minds. I'm just telling y'all. <laughs> Wouldn't that be incredible to be in-laws? Anyway, we're just trying to stay calm about it. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure, I hope she doesn't watch this. She'll never come around again. Anyway, I am uh, so thrilled to be here. And if you haven't been here when we've been here before, let me tell you what we do. We help men, women, and families recover after abortion. And we do that because we feel like that is the key to ending abortion in our country and around our world, is getting the people who know the truth of what abortion really does to you in our communities, in our churches, in their families, telling that truth. Revelation twelve eleven says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we're covered by the blood of the Lamb, but we have to start speaking out what he did for us. And when he has done something so incredible for us, it's almost like you're compelled to tell others. You cannot be quiet about it. And that's where my story starts. I had an abortion on March 29th, 1985, and it was the by far the worst mistake of my entire life. I spent the next seven years just hating myself. I wanted to die. In fact, I I attempted suicide during this seven-year period of trying to figure out how to fix myself, and I couldn't fix myself. And, And I realize now, because God never intended as mothers and fathers, as men and women, for us to choose death for our children. He created us to nurture and protect our children. That's why those of you who are in this room who have have dealt with the abortion issue, that's why you're feeling uncomfortable right now. Because you know, like you know there was something about that choice that what didn't sit right with you, that didn't help your life. And so that's what we do. We go into churches and pregnancy centers and we start what we call chapters. And hope is one of those chapters. And I'm so thankful for that. When I finally found healing in 1992, it was through a faith-based Bible study. So I wrote my own Bible study and started teaching it at our church. And then we started having a lot of success and men started asking to go through the women's class And so when I was having to hand them a women's book and say, change the pronouns, I finally got a clue that this isn't just a woman's issue. It's a man's issue, too. That was just as much his child as it was hers. And so they suffer as well. And so my husband and I wrote the men's study. And so we started helping men and women. But then we started having grandparents and siblings of aborted children want to go through the class. So I wrote a third Bible study called The Ripple Effect. And so now we minister to the entire family who is abortion wounded because it's time that we do something radically different. The church is the only entity on the planet that is set up and capable to hold and and bring in those who are wounded, the scores, the numbers of those who are wounded. We just crossed over 
63 million abortions that have happened in this country. Just in this country. We're third to China and Russia. America. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Yesterday marked 49 years abortion has been illegal in America. I don't want to make it to 50. And this year could be the year that Roe is overturned. We're believing it. We're praying for it. But listen, we still have an uphill battle after that because that just means abortion goes back to the states. This is so much bigger than politics. We made it a political issue and took it out of the church. Well, we're saying we need to bring it back to the church because the church is the most powerful entity on the planet, the local church. And so what we do at Save One, we set up these chapters in churches. So people turn to the church. They turn to Jesus Christ. They don't turn to Save One. They turn to Jesus Christ who is strong in this house. And that's where they get that transformation from the inside out. And that's when they go out and they start raising their children to know the truth about life. It doesn't mean you have to get on stage and tell everybody you've had an abortion. It just means when the subject comes up, you're able to speak truth to it now because you're healed. Some of the most powerful ministry we do is in a break room at work. Or across the fence with your neighbor. Just telling your story. But you can't really tell it until you get that victory. And that's what we're after. But that's what you guys have invested in. I love coming back to churches who are a part of us. That we feel like family. I truly, I'm not just saying this. I truly feel like family when I walk in here. Because I know so many of you. We're running up to each other. Parker came and run into the, to the parking lot when we pulled up out there. We're like, Parker! I mean, it's like those moments. I love coming back to churches that I know they believe in us and you have faith in us. And I feel such a weighty responsibility because of that. We don't take it lightly. In fact, we, we went as hard as we could last year. We went to 89 different cities in 2021. We were on the road most of the year. That's what you can do when you're, when you're empty nesters. So we were on the road, went to 89 different cities, saw a 189, is 189 salvations. We spoke to 14 or 15,000 people. We, what else? Uh, uh, traveled almost 40,000 miles, started 47 new chapters. On average through 2021, we have seven people per day working through our Bible studies. So we like to say we're raising this army of truth tellers who are no longer willing to be silent about what abortion does to you. It's time they hear the truth. It's time we tell that truth because that's the part. That's the part we've been missing. So bringing it back into the church, I feel, is what the key is. Because we are the ones who own this subject. We have the mandate in God's word. And if you're here today, I know when we're talking about this subject and you're here today, one out of every three women of childbearing age has had an abortion, which means one out of every three men. So I know you're in here today. 
And, and just me talking about this subject makes you uncomfortable. But please know, because of those statistics, you're not alone. And this is a place you can turn that is confidential and will help you. Because there's no reason to carry this any longer. Pastor Chris talks about closer. It's not so much about proximity, as he said, as it is the acknowledgement. And this keeps that wall between you. It's like, it's like the abortion. That's something God can't see. You can give him everything else but that. And it keeps you from getting closer to him. And I'm encouraging you to lay it down today. And start this class. Whenever they offer it again, go through it. It's not anything magical I've written in these books. It's simply God's word that it just applied like a bomb to the wound of abortion. So I would love to meet you, hug you, come and see us. We've got a table up there by the coffee booth. My story is out there, Survivor, if you want to read the whole story of what I went through after an abortion. Come and get you a t-shirt. All our books are out there as resources. We just want to get them in your hands and get you healed and back to Jesus. So thank you. I hope to meet every one of you, but I'll turn it over to Jack now. Good morning. We're always so excited to be here. We love your pastor. Do you love your pastor? Yeah, go ahead. The Bible says, give honor where who honor is due. And this man and his wife, Beth, what, do y'all ever sit together? Is that forbidden? <laughs> <laughs> Sheila and I pastored for 11 years. We get that. That this just doesn't always meet up in, in the church service. Listen, uh, Sheila and I know, we understand that when we come into a church and we're talking about what, what God's doing through Save One and And everybody didn't just come this morning thinking, man, if we could just hear a good sermon on abortion, this would be a good Sunday, you know? We get that. So I have good news for you if you didn't wake up that way this morning, which I know, I understand. When uh, I was 13 years old, and I'm going to tell you a little side story. I don't like side stories as much as staying focused, but this this is for you, for those of you that are they're here and you're like, I don't know about this, this issue. When I was 13 years old, me and some friends decided we were going to camp out and drink for our first time. We were, we were, um, you know, just little hellions is what we were. So, uh, I was 13 for the two weeks prior before we, we camped out. I let the eight chin hairs that I had grow as long as they could. And so I walked prominently into the store with my full beard. And uh, believed that that man was going to sell us some beer, and he did. He sold us quarts of country club malt liquor. And so that was that's how I started my drinking career. What I didn't realize, and seriously, I didn't realize that when I, when I drank that first sip that day, I had unlocked a, a rage inside of me that I couldn't control. And so I became an alcoholic. And, and you can think all you want, 13 years old, you can't be an alcoholic. I can tell you, you can because my mind was consumed with drinking. It was consumed with how was I going to get to drink and how much was I going to get to drink. I started hanging out with older guys because they could get me to that place. When I turned 16, I had a car I could drink every day because I could, I could get to where I could get by myself and, and people wouldn't know. 
At 18, I received a baseball scholarship to the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. I drank my way off of that scholarship the first year. At the end of the second year of school, uh, my grades beat me home one day, and my dad said, I am not paying for that. And I said, well, I'm done with school. I drank my way out of college because all I'd done was... I didn't, ever, I didn't go to class. I just went down to uh, campus and just started drinking every day. And so my life was kind of out of, out of control. I got a, I got a job, what I thought was a professional job. I, I was making $600 a month and had a car. I thought I was uh, amazingly rich. All I did was have money to add drugs to the alcohol that I was doing then. So my life was really out of control. And then... I'm sitting in a bar one night, and this woman walked by. And I looked at her, my wife, and she, as she walked by, and I looked at my friend my, that I was with, and I told my friend, I said, I am going to marry that woman right there. And he said, you're an idiot. <laughs> he said, you don't even know who she is. I said, you wait and see. So I pursued her, and, and she ran. She, she ran hard. She's fast. Um, <laughs> She rightfully so, you know, uh, I was fun in the evening, but when I wake up in the morning, you know, at, at seven o'clock and I'm popping a beer to, to start my day off, that's not really fun anymore. And so what, what we had done is we had intersected in, in the moment when we were the biggest hot messes we could possibly be. She was in the middle of her seven years of being unhinged from the abortion and I was in my probably in in close to the height of my alcoholism. And so what do you do? You take this hot mess over here and the hot mess over here. You just might as well make it one big hot mess. I mean, that's the way way we we saw that. So we got married. And uh, life was just rocky to begin with. I'll just be honest with you. First 10 years were a mess. But in 92, she received her healing through that faith-based Bible study she was telling you guys about. And when she received her healing... She was reconnected with Jesus, the Jesus of her youth, the Jesus that forgave the sin of abortion. And when she got reconnected, she she made it her life's goal to make sure that I got connected with Jesus. And I was not a willing participant in that. I, we, we would go to uh, non-spirit-filled churches, and those non-spirit-filled churches made me very comfortable and we would go to spirit-filled churches, which she was sure to make us get to, and I felt very uncomfortable in those. I was convicted. And so we moved to Nashville in 94. In 94, when we got to Nashville, we, she found this church. She had heard the story of the pastor. She wanted to go to this church. She walks in the front, and it was it was an old tabernacle-type church, you know, the kind with a foyer that's almost like three feet deep. And so you walk in, and you just walk into people. She walks in and says, this place has it. And I said, I know, go on. I, I just, I, I could, I could feel it. So we go to that church for a little bit. And in 98, in, um, on September 6, 1998, we, we go to the church the day before I'd, I'd started drinking about 10 o'clock. I drank until late in the evening, night and passed out. And that, and that day in church, I was not a willing participant. In fact, I didn't even want to be there because of the way I felt. But what I wanted was peace in my life. What I didn't realize is she had started taking classes online. And those classes were 
Um, you probably, some of you guys know these classes. It's how to make your husband's life hell on earth if he doesn't go uh, to church with you. <laughs> she was very good at it, valedictorian. She was going to, you know, she was coming out of there with a 4.0. And I said, uh, she, she comes to me that morning. She says, are we going to church? And she's got that smile. And I'm like, you know what? I just want peace in my house this week. So that was the entire reason that I was in church on that Sunday morning. I tell you all that to tell you this. God is in the house. And it doesn't matter where you are with Him spiritually. It doesn't matter where you are emotionally. It doesn't matter what you are addicted to or not addicted to. It doesn't matter what's controlling your life. It doesn't matter what's going on in your family, with your friends. It does not matter where you are with Him or without Him. He will meet you here this morning. And so he met me in that church that morning, September 6, 1998, third row back, aisle seat, left-hand side of the building. As you face the stage, that's an altar of victory for me. Every time I go into church, I look at that seat and thank God that he made that seat for me. And he and I had a, a true encounter with him. And what he did that day, I had no idea that God could even do, being raised in non-spirit-filled churches, he delivered me from alcohol that day. 23 years I had been an alcoholic. I walked out of there. I had been recreational, kind of high recreational with drugs. I wasn't a drug addict, but I mean, you know, if you're addicted or you're an alcoholic, it doesn't matter, you're controlled. But I walked out of there that day and I haven't had a drink since. I haven't, I never had the desire for it again. In fact, we went home that day. We, we got to the house. I told her on the way home what had happened. It wasn't this glorious thing that I was, you know, in the altars and weeping and crying. I just had a, a conversation with God. We got home that day. I took the outside garbage can and put it in the middle of the kitchen. That goes over well. If you've never done that, try that, guys. It'll, it'll create conversation. If you're struggling for conversation, do that. So I put it in the kitchen and we started to break, uh, liquor bottles and wine bottles and, pour them down the sink and put them in the trash can. We filled a trash can full of, from our um, liquor cabinet and from the refrigerator. In that day, we had been collecting wine bottles from our, from the year that we had gotten married. And we looked at them for a second and she said, should we really throw these away? Because we had paid some money for some, you know, you, you, you do ignorant things when you're ignorant, you know what I'm saying? So we had paid some money for some of these. And I said, baby, I'm going to come home one day this week. And I'm going to be stressed. And I'm going to go back to the thing that has kept me for 23 years in bondage. And I don't want to do that. So let's get everything out of the house. And that was a that was a big move for us. So we got rid of everything. We got it out. And we just we just said this, Lord, you have our yes. I don't know what that means, but we're going to do that. I can tell you, he will take you on a ride if you would give him your yes. He's an incredible God. And so for those of you that are here this morning and the abortion issue isn't something that you're just thinking, this is, this is all about abortion this morning. I'm just telling you it's all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Holy Spirit and what he does. It's nothing to do with what we do. But I do have a theme. And so I know for this morning that you guys normally stand for Scripture and reading of the Scripture in honor of God's Word, and I understand that. I just choose to do it different because I preach through the, the Scriptures, and if I start and have you stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, you'll think you're in a liturgical church. See, I did better this service. Thank you. So a liturgical church, and I don't want you guys to do that, okay? 
So can we just settle in? We're in Matthew 9, verse 1. We're going through 8. Matthew 9, verse 1 through 8. We're going to start um, with reading the first, first couple of scriptures here. It says, So he got in a boat and crossed over. He is Jesus, and he came into his own city. And then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Just leave that scripture up if you guys don't mind back there. So you guys will know this story. And you know this story because this is the same story that's in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. Each one of the writers has their own nuance, what they want to communicate, how they want to communicate it. And some of the writers, you know, they tell the story, they, they put details in. The others don't put that detail in. So it's in three of the Gospels. If you read the other two, you find out that these are four guys, four men that are carrying this guy who's paralyzed into where Jesus is teaching. These guys are so concerned about the condition of their friend that they're willing to carry him. I don't know if he's next door neighbor. I don't know if he was from across town. I don't know if he's from Martinsburg. I don't know where he's from. But some these guys wanted to make sure that he they got their friend in front of Jesus. So... It says in one of the other Gospels that he was on a, on his bed. One of the other Gospels says on his mat. There's got to be a way to hold whatever, whatever it was that he was lying on. And so I take one liberty in this, in this scripture here. And I believe that they were carrying him holding ropes. And there's, there's a part in a second that I think very much outlines that. But I think they were, hold, they were, he was, he, they were his rope holders. Everybody needs rope holders. From the time we got married and Sheila having to deal with the alcoholic that I was and her getting her healing and getting reconnected to Jesus, she became my rope holder. Thank you. She didn't do it by herself though. You know what? She started having her family pray for me. That's really weird if you're an alcoholic and you got people telling you you're, they're praying for you. I'm like, great, thanks, I think. But they were praying for me. I didn't understand the impact of that. I didn't understand the impact of people being a rope holder for me. Why would, why would somebody need to be concerned about me? I'm just living my life. This guy, he's got something obvious that's going on. He's paralyzed. But these guys thought if they could get him in front of Jesus, Jesus could change that. Do you, do you, do you have somebody in your life? Do we have somebody in the church? Do, do all of us in some way in the church have somebody that, it, that we could be the rope holder for them? If we could get them here that they could be, they could be delivered of alcohol, delivered of drugs, they could be delivered of pornography, they could be delivered of, of stealing the little animal crackers out of the kids ministry, whatever it is, they, you know, with somebody, would just hold the ropes for the person that they could get to where they need to be. I know this is a church of rope holders because I know the ministry you do. I know the missions that you have. And they're not centrally focused just on the sanctuary. They're far and wide. And I love that. So his friends, in the other Gospels, it says this. It says, when they got there... And this is the church service. It should be three, four, five church services. Just wear him out. Fill the place till he gets to the point to where he can't preach all the services. 
Challenge him. Make him go to Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, three times on Sunday, Sunday night. Find his breaking point. That's what they were doing with Jesus. There were so many people in the house. Every chair was filled. Every aisleway was filled. Every bit of the altar area was filled. The, the stage where the worship team was filled. There was no place to get in because the doorways and the windows were filled. They could not bring the guy that they had carried all the way into Jesus. In every church I've ever been in, there's always one guy that has a different ideal. So they get the guy here and they, they look and they can't get him in. And there's always that one guy that says, wait, I got an idea. Do you guys know that guy in this church? If it wasn't Pastor Chris, you know the other guy that does that, right? So they decide they will take him up on the roof. That just sounds like a great idea, right? Let's carry the guy up on the roof. Tear the roof open. It says to remove the tiles or tear the roof open, however you want to read it. And then let him down. This is the other place where I, I feel like it's obvious. Look, they could have dropped him. They're putting him in front of Jesus. Jesus is going to heal him anyway, right? I mean, just... But I think they probably had ropes. That's where I get that they had ropes. Because he came from the ceiling, he came down. And so they held the ropes and put him down in front of Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of Hedgesville. He saw the faith of Berkeley Springs. He saw the faith of everybody in this room, the first service, the third service. He saw the faith of those that are working with the kids out there so you can listen, so the kids can get appropriate ministry. They, he saw the faith of the ones that are doing the youth services. He saw the faith of what's going on in you guys for the ones that you're willing to hold the ropes for. Our faith makes a difference. When we look at somebody, we, we, can never, we can never just say, you know what, they're hopeless. How many times did people look at me, stumbling around, not knowing who I was, what was going on, in those late moments in, in, in the alcoholism, how many times did people look at me and say, you know what, he's, he's just an alcoholic, he's never going to change. She didn't, thank you. Her family didn't, thank them. And whoever it is in here, whatever God's done for you, you know somebody held the rope for you. And you know what? The Bible te- my Bible tells me that 2 Corinthians 1 says that we've been comforted by God and we should comfort others with the same comfort we've been comforted with. If God would allow people to hold the ropes for me, shouldn't I hold the ropes for other people? He saw their faith. So they put him in front of Jesus and then Jesus never does things the way I think he should. I mean, he always has his own way. So he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. And it's so odd that, that he says, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. The rope holders have taken the guy all the way to the roof, put him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus talks to his emotional state. You know why he did that? Because guilt and shame and grief and sorrow will mess you up so much that you can't perceive the spiritual deep things that God's doing. You can be in proximity 
but not perceive the presence of who God is. I can't tell you how many times she dragged, she drags me to church, puts me in the place, and I couldn't even perceive it in my mind. I'm glad she never quit for the hundredth or the five hundredth time because God was choosing me each and every time. But then He made a way for me. Our emotions get us so worked up that we can't perceive the deep things that God is wanting to do in us. And so Jesus dealt with that. Son, be of good cheer. The reason he did that is because, you know, our emotions are are God-given. I cry, I worship, I shout. When we have praise and worship going on, I have family that says, oh, that's an emotional thing. Well, yeah, it is. God gave me emotions. Why can't I use those? But that's not the deep part of what God wants to do with me. It's the most shallow thing that God has given me to worship him with. Because he's told me that he wants me to worship him spirit and truth. He wants me to worship with my spirit and he wants me to do it in truth, not some contrived way. And so if, if my emotions are keeping me from getting to the deep end, the shallow ends keeping me getting from the deep end, then he's going to fix that before he takes me over here and, t- and shows me something. Not only is proximity important, but also perceiving the presence is. And what Jesus did here is he, he took care I think, I think honestly, he, he spoke prophetically to the guy. I think he was speaking cheer into him, be of good cheer. It wasn't an encouragement, hey, you can take this or not. I think Jesus was doing business with the guy right then. And so he says, be of good cheer. So he takes care of the shallow end so he can do the deep end work. And the reason I say that is the very next sentence, uh, the very next part of it says, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. He immediately goes to the place where Jesus can have eternity with him, not just a temporal relationship. Jesus wanted eternity with him, so he forgave his sin. The guy didn't even ask. Man, that messes up everything that we, we hear about church and salvation, doesn't it? Did you ask forgiveness? Jesus just forgave me. He can do what he wants. He did it right here. Your sins are forgiven you. You know why he did that? It's because... People bust hell wide open all the time, walking and very healthy. What he wanted the guy to do is have eternity with him, and then he could fix the temporal problem that he had with not being able to walk and move around. He loves us that much. He loves us from this side to this side, front to back. Jesus loves us. Then... There's always those that are like me in 1997 and before 98 part of it. I see something going on at the front and I can't really perceive what's happening. At once, some of the scribes said within themselves, I'm not saying I was a scribe, I wrote things down, but I wasn't that. They said within themselves, this man blasphemes, they're talking about Jesus. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Jesus knows what we're thinking. He knows what's going on in our minds. He knows when we can't perceive the presence and the power of the presence, even though we're in proximity, they were there with him, but they still didn't get it. But he's still teaching them. He didn't just give up on them. He asked, why did you think evil in your hearts? He he just challenged their thoughts. And then... Everybody's got to be wondering, like, whose thoughts is this, you know? But he's, Jesus is just taking care of business. 
Verse 5. For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, listen now. This is when it gets good. Arise and and take up your bed and go to your house. Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. What is Jesus saying? He's saying you're healed, stand up. But I don't want you to go out the same way that you came in. I don't want you to go that way. I want you to walk out. I want you to strut. I want you to take that bed and make a display of it because that was your place that you're stationed in life, but your station in life is out there now. You don't have to live on that anymore. Your life is walking and talking and telling people what's happened. I want you to go back to your house and show your family what's going on. We got to tell our story. We have to tell our story and tell people what's happened with us. Revelation 19.11 or 19.10 says, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Every time that I get a chance to tell people what Jesus did for me, I'm telling people prophetically, He'll do it for you. It's not just that He did this for me. I'm not the only alcoholic that was ever delivered. I'm not the only pornographer. I'm not the only... Drug addict. I'm not, it doesn't matter who you are or what it is. You're not the only one. But if you'll tell other people, you'll encourage them and empower them and embolden them to take and believe. If you'll believe for them, he saw their faith. If you'll believe for them and you'll hold the ropes for them, then you can be a part of the process. Now I'm going to tell you a, part, a hard part of the story. That guy was on the mat. He was on the bed mat. There are times in life when we have to get on the bed mat. We have to allow people to put us on the bed mat and let people carry our ropes. It's not easy. It's not easy. I struggled and kicked at it and didn't want any part of it, but she did it anyway. Having faith for your friends, having faith for those that are struggling, that are hurting having faith for those that haven't been able to function since they chose abortion or chose abortion for somebody else, that's not easy. But And not easy to get on the bed mat and let somebody else carry you. But I can tell you it works according to this story. We have to have those weak moments in life where we take our place on the bed mat so we can take our rightful place in the kingdom after God has healed us. And the bed mat is not for the people that are holding the ropes. It's for the people that are on the bed mat so that God can do His work with them. And every once in a while, we just have to stop and say, you know what, I can't deal with this. I can't handle it. I can't do it myself. I need somebody else to help me. And so getting on the bed mat is not an easy thing to do. I get that. Here's the thing. There's a church growth model. If you guys love seeing the church grow and If you want to get to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three on Sunday morning, one on Sunday night, here's the church growth model. It works every time because every time I tell somebody about what Jesus has done for me, I I tell them, you need to come to church and check it out. Here it is, verse 8. So he arose and he departed to his house. And when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. This is how you get people to the church. The multitudes saw it. The multitudes weren't in the room where Jesus was teaching. The multitudes were on the outside. 
They saw the man strut out of there with that bed mat. They saw the miracle that had happened. People see the miracle in me. The church that Sheila kept trying to drag me to, a Church of God church in Chattanooga, she ran into the pastor there at a, at a conference a couple of years after I got saved, several years after I got saved because we had planted a church. I was pastor at a church. She told her pastor that had been the minister for their family for years, Jack's pastoring, he literally was so shocked he gasped. I'm not kidding. But he marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. It's not me, man. It's not me. It's what God did in me. And what He'll do in you guys. What He'll do in this community. What He'll do in Hedgesville and Berkeley Springs and Martinsburg and all those places around. Wherever you're from. If I've left out a community, man, I don't mean to. I'm just saying, wherever you are, if you'll tell what God's done, He will be glorified. I want to ask you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads for just a second. I got two quick things I want to ask you about. The first one is very simply this. Maybe you've never heard of a Jesus or maybe you've really never conceived it. Maybe maybe this is the first time that you've perceived the, the power and the presence in a new way and you understand that you don't have that right relationship with God at this point and you need that. You want to change from where you are right now to get your relationship right with God. Would you just raise your hand and say, this is my day. I've got to do this. Wherever you are in the room, just raise your hand and put it back down. I'm not going to ask anybody to come up front. I'm not asking anybody to do anything. Thank you. I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I love this. Well, listen, there's somebody. Thank you. I saw you. Thank you. This is what we need to do. We need to be with them. We need to hold the ropes for those that just raised their hand. And so I want everybody in the room to repeat this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I ask forgiveness. God, I pray that you would cleanse me of all unrighteousness. God, I accept. I can't do this by myself. I accept your Lordship. And I need you to take me by the hand and lead me home. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, give them a hand this morning. Let them know that you're with them, that you're for them. Skip's going to tell you in just a second, there's a card for those of you that raised your hand. I have one other question, and I want every eye in the room closed. I want every head bowed for just a second. The abortion issue is so raw. It's so hard. It's so emotional. But there are people in this room just by numbers that says you've been affected by it. And this is what I want to ask you to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I won't ask this question until I know that. Same with the worship team. Everybody's closed up here. If you've been affected by this by this issue, will you just look up at me and then so I can thank you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Folks, it's all over this room. This church is rope holders. This church is full of rope holders that want to walk you through the Save One Bible study. 
This church is a hero for you. This church is willing to make a difference. For those of you that raised up and looked at me, will you please make sure that you talk to one of the pastors or whoever is leading the Say One Bible Studies. They will get you started on a path toward your healing. Love you guys. I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you that they are reaching far and wide and that you are constantly drawing them closer. Lord, we love you and we give you great praise and great glory and great honor for what you're doing. And Lord, I just ask for those that are struggling, would you just begin that process of healing in them? Would you just let them know that you're with them, that you have taken up residency with them in that hurt and that pain? Lord, for those that need to be healed or delivered, let that happen in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said.